Honestly, I gave up on the route and it was hard to accept that because that had never happened to me before. I'd always just pushed through and then finally it came together. And this time it wasn't happening and it was very kind of like sense of failure for me. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game and also what they're passionate about beyond the fight with gravity. Now, today's guest is a goat, perhaps even the goat. I'm talking about, of course, Chris Sharma. Holy smokes, you guys. Chris needs absolutely zero introduction, but it is worth hitting just a few of the highlights for a minute here because it is mind-boggling when you're reminded what he has achieved in this sport that we all love so much. Okay, deep breath here. At just 14 years old, he won the adult U.S. bouldering nationals. At 15, he freed the hardest route in North America at the time, 14C Necessary Evil. And we actually talk a little bit about this in our chat because it was something that Alex Honnold brought up in a prior conversation that he had here on The Struggle. Then in his late teens and early 20s, Chris dominated the comp circuit while pushing the limits of outdoor climbing to new heights. At 20 years old, y'all, Chris sent the world's first consensus 515A, Seyus's biography, aka Realization, and then he was also the first to climb 15B with Jumbo Love here in the US, and the second to climb 15C just after Adam Andra as the two of them worked together on La Dura Dura. Chris also took deep water soloing to groundbreaking new levels when he sent the king line of Espontas, the 15A in Mallorca, and then later put up a 15B deep water solo, Alasha, which is the hardest of the discipline. In a sport where the best climbers in the world can count their 9A plus or 515 sends on one hand, Chris has put up more than I can count on three hands, or maybe four hands, honestly. I wasn't even able to get a complete count as I was putting together this introduction. And he has been dominating for so long that it might be easy to simply refer to his groundbreaking contributions in the past tense. But that would be a mistake. Chris, just a couple of months ago, sent his hardest route ever, Sleeping Lion in Sierra, which he gave the grade of 515C. Y'all, he was almost 42 years old when he clipped those chains recently. His hardest route ever, 515C at 42. Chris climbs with such flow, and he carries himself with an almost mythical, at this point, like yogi demeanor, it would be understandable to just assume that there hasn't been a whole lot of struggle for him throughout his three decades at the top of the sport. But as you'll hear today, there's been plenty of struggle, both physically and mentally. Today, Chris opens up with stories that I don't believe he's ever shared before. I mean, it was really surprising stuff for me, and also incredibly inspiring and insightful. We totally blew up the format in this one, you guys, as the goat would not be corralled into my typical format. But rest assured, we covered it all and then some. Let's go. So as you hear in this convo with Chris, he was just about to head off on Deepwater solo trip to Mallorca as the temps have gotten too toasty for him to climb at his local crag. Well, no such luck for me over here in Kentucky as I don't believe there are any Deepwater solo routes in this landlocked state of ours. So I've just been hitting the gym, and I'm tucking into a strength training block right now, which I've been able to easily program with Crimped, which is hands down my favorite tool when it comes to programming my own training. Crimped, which is totally free to download, by the way, is a training app that I've been using for years, y'all, because it just works so, so well, and it takes the guesswork out of everything. I love scrolling through their library of protocols to keep my training fresh. So right now I'm mixing my strength training up by going from board work to set problem protocols to things that I can just do at home if I'm crunched for time. There's even a little bit of game theory in there with the way that you complete each of your workouts and close out those bars every week, which for me adds the perfect amount of motivation and also a little bit of reward. Feels good to finish those workouts every week. I am definitely far more consistent with my training when I've got this app keeping me honest and on track. I think it's going to work for you guys. No risk. It's free to download. Hit that link in the show notes here, or just search Crimped in your app store to download it for free and take your training to new heights. Now, one of the big themes of today's chat with Chris is how he's managed to stay healthy and strong over decades of climbing hard. And as someone who's also in their 40s, I'm super invested right now in keeping myself healthy and injury free. And the best way that I'm doing that when I'm training hard is to incorporate FizzyVantage products into my daily routine. One of my favorites is their supercharged collagen, which is a research-based, athlete-proven supplement to keep your fingers strong and healthy. 
Supercharged collagen is used daily by dozens of professional climbers, like the biggest names in the sport, you guys, as well as thousands of regular climbers like you and me. They just released two new delicious flavors, pomegranate berry and lemon honey tea, both of which are so, so good. I'll just shake it up with water or add it to my morning cup of caffeine about an hour before loading my fingers, and I have definitely seen the results. I've been able to train harder and stay healthier than I ever have before. I think you're going to love it. Check it out. Hit that link in the show notes or use checkout code STRUGGLE15 to save 15% off any full-price nutrition order at fizzyvantage.com or in Europe, pop over to the Banana Fingers or Epic TV online shops. Lastly, just a huge thanks to all you patrons and subscribers out there who are helping to make dynamite interviews like this happen. It's a lot of work, but it's also super rewarding, and I'm incredibly grateful for your support. And also, check this out, patrons. Stick around, because at the end of this chat, you're going to get access to some bonus content with Chris, because of course, you get ad-free, early, and extended episodes just for supporting the podcast with a few bucks each week. If you're not a patron, maybe consider coming aboard if you like it. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a bit. But first, let's power scream our way into this conversation with the king of king lines, Chris Sharma. Can you can you hear me? Can you see me okay? Yeah, man. You're you're right looking good. You're sounding good. Cool, man. Thanks. Dude, thanks for your patience, huh? I'm really first of all, it's it's wonderful to meet you as as somebody who's got some young kids myself and a couple jobs. I'm I I can empathize. Sure. Are your kids on summer vacation like from school right now? Not yet. Not yet. It's like we have like one more week. That's why I'm getting out today. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go for like four days to Mallorca. Because once they're out of school, it's more of a burden for my wife to, you know, for me to be gone. So right. all yeah. sorts of factors I, I'm sure you're familiar with. You don't bring them along on like the kayak, deep water soloing trips? It seems like that could be like a cool little camping adventure, you know? Yeah, one of these days. One of these days I would love to, you know, it's a funny your podcast is called Struggle, but it's like one of the things I do struggle with, obviously just that all that balance between family life and climbing and haven't really been able to mix it that well. You know, it's like I go on these surgical strike missions out to see Urana. That's what I've been doing the last couple of years anyways, and it's worked really well. It's enabled me to continue to push myself, you know, to continue to be able to go out and climb on a regular basis. But as soon as I mix the family into it, it gets really challenging and overwhelming. And usually when I go climbing, it's super cold out. And you, you know, my kids wouldn't want, or my wife wouldn't want to be there at the cliff freezing their asses off, right? So, I don't know, it's a, something I aspire to. Yeah. Actually, just yesterday I took them out bouldering and it was super cool and they climbed a little bit. You know, more than, obviously there's this side of being like a proud father to see my kids, whatever, following my footsteps or not, not even like that, but just to see them connecting with something that I love so much, like climbing. But for me, more than that, it just to see, just to get them out into nature and and do stuff like that. It, you know, I, it's a bit of a slippery slope when you project project that stuff onto your kids too. You know, right. I just want them to just be themselves and figure out what they want and who they want to be uh, without that sort of pressure. So I think uh, that's ultimately the best way for them to fall in love with climbing. In the end, is on their own, right? So just it's a balance. It's like one of the things I'm I'm working on. For sure. How old are your kids? My daughter just turned seven and my son will be five. I took them out bouldering yesterday and it was super cool and they had a great time and they, I set up a top rope for them and it was awesome. We're in the same boat. I've got a five-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son. And okay. when I bring them with me out to the red, so I live in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I climb out the red, kind okay. of like the home crag. And awesome. I'll bring them out there with me, but I quickly realized that the day can no longer be about me trying to perform. Like, I'm not going to bring them out with me when I'm trying to send. Maybe when I'm projecting or just messing around. Because uh, otherwise, it's it becomes so distracting. And I almost, I kind of have to make the day about them. I'll go find like a 5-6 a for them to hop on. And then maybe I'll get a burn-in. But if I go in with like low, low expectations for my own climbing, then it can be fun. And I was talking with Tommy about this. And it was very similar as, as he was saying. is like the day almost 
has to mostly be about the kids. And if you can like eke out a couple burns, then great. Yeah, it's very similar, you know, for me. Uh, it was just great though to see them happy being outside, being on the, you know, on the rock like that. It was super cool because yeah, most of the time I haven't brought them with me. So sometimes I feel a little bit guilty about that, but I think it's just the way it has to be sometimes sure. when, especially when you're trying to climb at your limit. So. Yeah, and it's your job. I mean, it's your passion, but it's also your career. It's your job. And we don't always bring our kids to work with us, you know. Well, you got this deep water trip coming up. I want to dive into all sorts of things. But first, we'll go big picture. Of course, you just shared a bit of a struggle, kind of the push and pull with personal life. But even going more general than that, you've got a long lens on the sport, but you're also, I think, quite an introspective person. You've, you've done quite a bit of work, mindfulness work, and uh, I think you've got a, a very unique perspective not just on climbing, but on life. And so I ask all of our guests when they join, what's your relationship with struggle as it pertains to climbing? Well, I think uh, it's interesting, you know, what you mentioned about me. And I think it's true that I have done, you know, a lot of mindfulness work and stuff like that. And I come across maybe as like a very peaceful person. And I think I am, but there's also this, this inner fire. There's also, I think there's two, there's always like these, you know, different forces at play within us. And I think you have to have that little bit of angst, that little bit of dilemma or, or just like internal struggle to forces us to get off of the couch and go do something. You know, it pushes us to do something with ourselves that, you know, to make our, to give purpose to our, our life. Right. And so I think, yeah, it's, it's this balance of trying to be at peace with the day to day of life, but also you need to have some of that burning fire that pushes you to do things. And so that little bit of discontentment is important in a way to, to, to be a little bit unsatisfied. And you know, it's one of the things I talked a bit over the years with, with Josh Lowell about just the, the concept of like the suffering artist or something, you know, like, or, or a musician, like they, sometimes they have to have these, this dark side to them that fuels, you know, these beautiful works of art, right? And I think there are these two uh, different types of energy that are at play in, in all of us, you know? And, and so I think there's, there's time and place for everything, right? So for example, like I've, I've found that my climbing career or my, my climbing in general has just gone, has been a bit cyclical, right? Like where I will have some like pent up need to really achieve something that will push me to do, do something, you know, for me that, that feels important. And then once I do that, I'll go into more of a, just a, more playful side of, of climbing. And then it repeats itself after, you know, for me, like I did, I did Dura Dura, for example, and it took me 10 years to get back to that place where I was like, no, I need, this has been fun sampling all these different things, but I want to like sink my teeth into something and really like realize my potential on a, on a route. And, and so I think it's just, there's always something to struggle with, I guess. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that perspective, especially that analogy there of kind of the, the, the angsty musician or artist, because it, it does seem like, well, first of all, you put up really artistic lines, these king lines, whether they're deep water solos or this really hard stuff you've been doing in Spain, they're, they're very aesthetic and you spend a ton of time on them. So I'm sure that's helpful in that sense. But you also pointed out this time period where you go in these cycles, as you said. And so looking at from realization biography to that a jumbo love in la dura dura and then you know a decade to sleeping lion at, at what 41 almost almost 42 years old when you sent that is it that those super limit routes then when you do them like the real cutting edge ones like like sleeping lion the hardest route you've ever climbed just just recently does that then release a pressure valve and now you don't feel like you need to get on something you know, super hard for a while? I think a little bit of both things, you know, a little bit of both. I think it, it definitely, it's the classic experience that I think most people have with climbing where you think if I just do this one climb, I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life and invest so much time and energy into it. And then once you finally do it, you realize you're like, oh, I'm just the same and struggling with the same things that I did the week before, right? Maybe even a little bit more because then you don't even really know what to do with yourself like that. Having a project like that really gives gives a lot of purpose and direction in life. I've definitely found that. And it was so cool that that experience really deep dive back into that process with Sleeping Lion because 
just making that commitment. And then it's just like, okay, I'm just going to go here every week, two to three times a week. And it just really simplifies everything. And once, once it's done though, then you're kind of like, okay, now what do I do with myself? And it, it is a process of kind of figuring out the next step of things. And I think as amazing as it is to have climbing and, and that sort of goal to direct you and guide you, it's also important not to be completely dependent on that for our, our happiness, you know? And I think for me, it was interesting climbing Sleeping Lion and I was pushing really hard for, I mean, over, over a period of like a year and a half or two years, pretty much, I was very consistent with my climbing, you know, trying to stay at a really high level, even within the process of Sleeping Lion. I mean, I fell from from December until the end of March, I was following the last move. So I spent three months climbing, you know, two or three times a week, climbing essentially like almost a 515C. That's crazy. Just a very high level of focus and obviously like just wear and tear of my body. But I think there's a sense that I was, I was talking to a few different friends about it. When you do achieve those things, you're like, I'm in the best shape of my life. I should utilize this. And try to go out and do some other thing, do us do some other routes. And it sounds really good on paper. I think mentally shot, you know, emotionally just exhausted. And things kind of have to be organic. It can't just be like, it's not just as simple as like, I'm going to go. It's not, climbing is not purely mechanical. You have to be actually inspired. It's not that easy just to shift. So my point is that I haven't spoken to too many people that have been able to do that, like utilize that that sand high to go just like immediately redirect that onto other projects. But what I found too was that my body was, I was just exhausted and I hit a bit of a wall and my body started telling me like that it needed a break. You know, I started feeling like some, some joint pain and stuff like that. And, uh, and it's interesting because I think that's also kind of like, in a way, the universe guiding me to also not lose sight of these other things that I have going on in my life. For me, it was, it was a very intense period this last seven or eight years. You know, we started a family, started this company, Sharma Climbing here in Spain. You know, building these climbing gyms during COVID was very stressful. And then jumping straight into this whole TV show, The Climb, you know, I really wanted to just get back to my roots of, you know, all of those things are made, were amazing experiences, but they were all really out of my comfort zone. They're, you know, learning new New, new things. And it was really great to just dive back and come back into doing what I do best, which is just going and rock climbing. And so it was very good to just like immerse myself in that to the point where you just get so one pointed that that's all that you think about. And that's an amazing place to be, but I don't think that's completely healthy to be in that headspace all the time, yeah. especially when you have kids and you have family and then you also have other thing, I think that's the great thing about having other things going on in our lives. As hard as it is to, to manage and balance all that stuff, I think they complement each other a lot. You know, since I became a dad, I cherished my climbing days so much more. You know, the the days when you're just like, I don't know, you know, when you have just limitless free time and you can just pick and choose the right days. I feel like you don't really appreciate that freedom so much. And when you have that, when it's taken away from you a little bit, it makes you appreciate it a lot more. And so having these other responsibilities in life has made me really cherish every day of climbing that I have. I'm lucky enough that climbing is my job and I usually climb during the weekdays. Right. You know, my, my climbing days are during the weekdays and then I spend the weekends with my family and that, that works pretty well. Sure. And so I've become this like extreme weekend warrior or weekday warrior. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm with you on that boat, actually. I, unfortunately, I've got a, a flexible work schedule, so I'm a weekday warrior as well, which is nice because the crag's not as busy and then the weekends are, are with the family. And it's a nice perspective. It's a nice look inside you as one of the greatest rock climbers of all time, certainly the greatest sport climber. You've broken every grade and, and put up every cutting-edge climb that we've seen for the past few decades. Um, to see you now in this chapter still able to climb as hard, in fact, the hardest you've ever climbed, but being able to bring in the balance, the family, the businesses. And while it's not as easy, um, that's a really nice perspective to hear because, again, I think a lot of us listening are also juggling a lot. And while not climbing near your level, we're still climbing the hardest routes we're trying to climb. 
And it is nice to know that that balance can be there, which I think is a great opportunity for us to talk about training for a bit here, because um, while you're not able to travel as much, um, you do have local crags, but you've got this gym nearby and um, you have a reputation, at least, as somebody who doesn't train or hasn't trained, at least in the conventional sense, like the off the route style of training. And I don't know if that's a fair categorization or not. I'll, I'll kick it over to you. But let me start broad first and just look at training in general. And where have you struggled in your training? And I guess, you know, do you do you train at all in the conventional sense? Well, so it was interesting. The one time that I did some structured training was with, I actually did, I did a, a, a month with Pachi Usobiaga, you know, his Pachi. This is when you were training. working on LeBlanc or training for LeBlanc? Yeah, I don't know exactly. It was, it was somewhere around then, you know, it was summer, summertime. I think my daughter was just born actually. And I was like, I'm here in Barcelona. I just built the climbing gym. You know, I'm not going anywhere. This is a great time to, you know, ex explore something new. And it was, it was an incredible experience, but it's been, it's very different than my regular approach to climbing, which for me has been a, a pretty sustainable, sustainable approach for me in general is that I've just mostly just climbed my entire life. I think, you know, one of the things with this high intensity training, it has an upside, but it also has has a downside too of just the the level of exhaustion and just the level of intensity that it maybe pushes you to a place that is not not that it's artificial, but it's it's a little bit unsustainable in in our in an everyday setting, right? And so once you fall out of that, I think it can be maybe just a little de depressing, you know, to 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 not be able to be at that super level, and whereas my approach has been, I haven't had like really big peaks ever. It's been just a very consistent, you know, for going on 30 years, right? But certainly I've noticed, you know, in the past I could take months off of climbing and basically come back and be right where I was. And now that's definitely not the case. I definitely feel a lot of, like it's very important to maintain my, just my level of fitness. So consistency is really important. And so usually when I... If I get busy with something, you know, we just move to a new place and it's really easy to get suddenly two weeks can go by and then you're off the wagon and it's, and that can really throw things, throw things out, out of whack a little bit. Do you, when you're not able to make you know, it out to the crag consistently, like in these times when you're, when you're busy, you've got Sharma climbing, yeah. so you've got a gym. Well, so that was the, the thing that was really, for me, like one of the biggest tools for, for me with climbing Sleeping Lion was having this incredible rope climbing gym, you know, near my house, because the, the amount of climbing that, you, you know, to get good root endurance, you need to do a lot of it. Two days a week on the rock isn't enough to get, to get really fit on a, uh, you know, roped endurance where you can get pumped, get to some, you know, bad holds and, and re be able to recover. Like that just, it takes, takes a lot of work. And so having that tool of the, the gym, especially through the summer, it was a huge factor for me having that, I have to say. And, but interestingly though, from October, all I did was rock climb. Hmm. You know, I went back, sorry, going back to see around the end of October. Before that, I was in Bishop for a little bit in Mallorca. And all I've been, all I've done is rock climbing and, you know, trying Sleeping Lion. And it was really interesting, you know, for me, I, I'm, I've never been methodical in, in anything that I do. It's just very spontaneous, but it's just very interesting to recognize that the way that I've done things before is still the, the way that works for me now. And, you know, I, I basically just, I just climbed on the rock on my project, like I've always done. And that was what still works the best for me. So at the end of the day though, I mean, that doesn't mean that things come easy or it's just, it's all fun. I mean, you know, one of the metaphors that I like to use is like, say you have a route, maybe it's, I don't know, biography, for example, and say you have two climbers, one of them goes out there and tries, tries it over and over and over again for two years and does it. The other one trains specifically for a year and eight months, and then goes out and does it in a, in a, in a couple of weeks, Wh whatever. 
it might look like on paper, one person did it very quickly and the other person took them two years. But in the end, it was the same amount of work for both of them. And just finding the way that, that works for you. And there, the truth is that there's no, there's no shortcuts to push it, you know, to getting better. Like it takes a lot of work and a lot of focus and commitment. And I think people, as in the same way that kids, maybe certain kids learn in a classroom setting better than others, where others might learn better out on a field trip, like exploring hands-on, it might be easier mentally to do like hangboard exercises and this and that, and then go out, you know, with the confidence that they're fit. But for me, I've always needed that objective in front of me to know why I need to get stronger. And, you know, even when it comes to like doing pull-ups or something, it's just, it's super boring for me. And it's really hard for me to, to want to do them. Whereas when I'm on a, on, the, on a route, then I want to. And so it's, that's the way that works for me. Yeah, that's a really cool perspective. And I think one, to your point, that you've really stayed true to for almost the entirety of your career, um, you've just gotten stronger on route. Now, a lot of us who are weekend warriors or weekday warriors, um, like in my case, we aren't able to get out onto the project multiple times a week. You know, sometimes we we only have a few uh, windows over the course of the year. And so I'm curious from your point of view, because for me, sometimes training becomes a drag. But when you're on the route all the time, does that sometimes become a drag? Like, does that then turn into training? Or is there still that lightfulness and that playfulness when you're working a route, even if it happens to be a limit route that you're not even sure might go. So I went through this four month period of just like super intense on that route. And then now thankfully I sent it. And then I think it's also important to reconnect with just the pure playful side of climbing, which, which is for me going to Mallorca and, and deep water soloing. And if you saw that film that we put out last week, I mean, that's what it's all about. It just, it's like the poetic just like beautiful, just spontaneous part of climbing where, uh, of course, you want to try hard and you want to do hard things, but it really is about just the aesthetics and the beauty and the fun. And I think that's really important to, you know, we get so caught up in thinking about high performance that a lot of that other stuff gets pushed to the side. And I think that's really important for just to be inspired. You know, you have to see, you know, I think it's important to, to have that playful side of climbing as well. Do you, do you, I love that you brought up that, that kayak camping, you know, deep water solo trip. First of all, the film was beautifully done. It's really well put together and, and edited. And obviously the, the climbing looked like a blast. It, that point that you made right there raises this question for me on what balance you try to seek, if it's even a conscious balance between going for limit projects versus going out and just moving over rock and having fun. Is there a ratio that looking back that, that you feel you strike? Probably roughly half and half, I think. Except that, you know, my having fun is usually connected with pushing myself. So it's, you know, it's all wrapped up together. Sure. You know, I mean, I will say that one of the things that I love about deep water soloing is that it's, I think, maybe the only discipline that I really just enjoy climbing whatever grade. It's not even about the grades. It's just about moving over beautiful pieces of rock. And then, of course, if you see a beautiful feature or a specific route that, that you know, catches your eye, then you hone in on that. But, but yeah, usually it's, you know, they're, they're tied together pretty, pretty much. You know, I, I can't go sport climbing and just do easy stuff. You know, I want to try at my, at my limit. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's, that, that's helpful for me to hear is the, a, the fun is trying hard, but B, you know, 50-50. Sometimes I get sucked into like a limit project and I get so obsessed with it that I almost get unhappy, you know, because I'm just, my my happiness or my yeah. self-worth is well, pegged to the progress or the outcome. That and, happened to me for sure. And I was, I mean, I was getting neurotic about it with Sleeping Lion. You know, I, from, yeah, from end of December until end of March, I was following at the last move and I was, yeah, I was keeping my cool. But I got to a certain point where I had to like acknowledge within myself that I wasn't, I was like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm just, I'm enjoying the process. I would, that's what I'd be telling myself. But then I had to actually acknowledge deeper down that I'm actually a little bit over this and I want to, 
you know, I'm a little bit, this is a little bit frustrating and I'm not enjoying this that much anymore. Right. And I think, you know, we try to tell ourselves like positive affirmations, like, yeah, it's all good. Just enjoy the process. But at the same time, we need to be honest with ourselves where we're at. And for me, recognizing the fact that, you know what, instead of trying to tell myself that it's all good, it was actually helpful to recognize the part of myself that was like, you know what, I, I'm not enjoying this that much. And that helped me get back on track and kind of adjust my mindset into a more positive state. It was really interesting, actually, because, yeah, once I was able to recognize that and be honest with that, I was able to as assess it. And, and maneuver around it in a, in a more positive way. Yeah. So you essentially, you recognized that you weren't having fun and, and in labeling that or, or in um, just bringing those feelings to light, then you were able to put a more positive experience into the process. And, and I'm curious also just kind of what that recognition felt like um, now at, you know, nearly 42 years old, doing the hardest thing you've ever done, certainly no certainty of sending it. What was that experience like? Yeah, it's it's not easy when you put yourself out there like that on a project and you invest everything into it and you're faced with the you know possibility of failure. And I mean, for me, specifically with that route, you know, being in my 40s, I felt like I missed a couple of couple of seasons. You know, there was one first season I missed. I bolted it in October of 21 went straight into the climb, into the, the filming of the, the show, The Climb. And then I went, I had the little bit of the season of the springtime, but I was really nervous that I was going to keep blowing it on the last move and miss this season. And yeah, just confronting yourself with failure, it can be really intense, but it's, it's also very liberating. I've never had an experience on a project when that didn't happen, honestly. You know, when I look back on it, whether it was, yeah, Biography or Jumbo Love or First Round, First Minute or Door Door or, or anything like that. I, I always felt like looking back on it, I probably could have done each climb quite a bit quicker, but there is this mental factor that caused it to drag on for a lot longer, which like took me through the ringer of just like the whole emotional roller coaster of, you know, wanting it and then, you know, feeling rejected, then having to just let it go. And then, you know, suddenly, then finally it all comes together, right? Yes, I feel that myself. I think well, I think a lot of people listening do too. And that's what's you know, so nice about climbing is that you're running into these mindset challenges at your peak physical performance. And by the way, like the most cutting edge routes of our lifetimes here, talking about biography, dura dura, first round, first minute, sleeping lion. I mean, groundbreaking routes. And um, I don't climb anywhere near that, but the routes that I'm trying at the time on any given season feel for me at least just as hard, right? And um, I'm curious, since you're facing that as well, which I think is nice to hear, by the way, because there's maybe a little bit of this like lore, this mystique around you that um, everything comes with this ease or just kind of this Zen flow. But to know that not only obviously are you trying super hard, but you're wrestling with doubt and frustration and um, not only uh, uh, hitting walls physically as you're trying to punch through these barriers, but also on mindset. Well, how do you handle that? I mean, what have you learned over the years and, and what can I learn from that? Yeah, I haven't found another way aside from just embracing that process. And it really is a pretty cool process though. It can take you to some kind of deep, sometimes dark places within. And uh, forces you to you know, look look at yourself. And, and I think that's one of the cool things about those projects is, you know, really like, it really does like you get engaged on a very deep level. And I think climbing as a, as like a life path, it's important to have those intense experiences because it's, I mean, climbing is so, there's so many different iterations of climbing. Climbing is, is about just going, having fun and being in nature, but then it's also about, you know, it's just, this is like my life path as a climber. And so you need to have those like tough moments to really pro focus and have certain, I guess, accomplishments. I think it's important. Not necessarily accomplishments, but have, have goals, you know, work towards them. And, you know, the classic thing is it's, it's not, a, it's about the process. It's not about getting to the top, but if you never get to the top, then 
what are you doing also, right? Why are you, you know, so I right. think it's like there's, it has to be in there at some point, clipping the chains at some point and a and, and vulnerable place to put yourself where you try something that you might not succeed on and committing yourself wholeheartedly to that and then potentially walking away empty handed. It's, it's a scary place. And I think it's, it's cool though. I, I recommend it, you know, for some people. <laughs> Is there a route that comes to mind from the list that you kind of just ticked off or many of the other FAs and, and cutting edge routes that you've done? Is there one that stands out that was like the darkest place that you've been? You know, I think it's, I think first round, first minute for me was a really good example of that. You know, I fell at the last move of that. I don't know, like, I, I didn't even count how many times, but a lot, like over 30, maybe, maybe 50. Wow. I'm not sure. And for me, it was, it got to this point where I like, it was a big dilemma because once you've committed yourself to a, a certain path and you don't succeed, like, how do you keep progressing beyond that? That was, that was some of the, like the internal dialogue that I had, like, you know, you, how can I ever move beyond, you know, this threshold if I, if I never achieve that climb? And it, a lot of those things that, you know, through that that experience of confronting that failure, though, it was interesting to see a lot of that is just like stuff we make up in our mind, right? But it was very real for me. I don't know if that was 2011 or 2000, I think it was 2011. And I had, I honestly, I gave up on the route. And it was very, like mentally, it was, for me, it was hard to, to accept that because that had never happened to me before. I'd always just pushed through and then finally it came together. And this time it wasn't happening and it was very kind of like sense of failure for me. Mm -hmm. And I started climbing on another route that I had bolted, Perfecto Mundo, and I was climbing on it. And it was a weird feeling for me to have to, to leave that other one behind. But I think I got to a point where I just wasn't even having fun on it anymore and started climbing on other things and, and realized that, you know, whatever, life goes on. <laughs> not that bad after all, like whatever. It's just, you know, I think it's good to have those perspectives, like as, as important as these objectives feel. When you take a few steps back, it's actually not that important. I think that's really important tool perhaps. And then it just so happened, like I tried Perfecto Mundo, like I ended up actually came pretty close to sending it that day and ended up never getting higher on it since. But then I went and I belayed a buddy on his route and then we were driving by and I saw first ground was in the, in the shade. It was like, this was in the spring, like it should have been out of season by then. But I was like, Hey, we're here. Like I already did my good try of the day. Like I felt already felt like, you know, I realized my, myself for the day. And so I was like, yeah, what the hell? I'll just, I'll give it a go. And I had already given up on it at this point. And then I, that's when I sent it. So man. I don't know. I don't know what the lesson is. Just that like, sometimes you have to push yourself, you know, to like, you know, fully let go of our egos. I mean, it's just, uh, that's in the end, like that's so much of what gets in the way is our, our, our egos. And so it's really hard thing to do other, other than just like beating your head against the wall over and over and over and over. And then at one point, you know, you'll, you'll give up. And once you, once you do give up, that's usually when it happens. Oh man, that's great. I, I'd never heard that part of the story there. So you fully gave up on first round. You moved over to Perfecto Mundo, which certainly wasn't a vacation by comparison. Another intensely hard route. But yeah, how interesting. I think a lot of us have experienced this, whether it's at the gym or out at the crag, where you kind of have that no expectation, like last go of the day or... You know, you just, you're not putting pressure on yourself. You hop on something and all of a sudden it flows and it comes together and you're at the chains and what an incredible experience on, on an incredible route for you. And did that just happen? Like, did you just kind of naturally move on and, and you were able to do that? Or was there a process to essentially walking away from first round, first minute for a little bit? Uh, so I, um, my wife's friend, she's like a, she's like a corporate coach for whatever, big executives and stuff like that. And I was going through this process on Sleeping Lion. I was getting a little bit frustrated and I, I did a session with her and it was really interesting because she doesn't knows nothing about climbing. But we dissected, you know, a lot of different things and, you know, dissected in a lot of ways, like my relationship with climbing. And there's so much meaning 
that I put on these objectives like sleeping lion or like first round, first minute, you know, obviously these are like important life achievements for me, but basically through like visualization, like she's like, put yourself into that mindset, you know, on the different, different routes that you've, you experienced success on before. And it was, it was really interesting exercise. We went full circle. And by the end, what I was left with was the mindset of success was just pure joy of climbing. And it was really cool, like for me to like, just to go through that, that process to, to separate all these different things. Cause there's a lot of layers of meaning and, and things that we attach to it. You know, it's our personal identity. It's, you know, my job, my image, whatever, you know, all these different things. And so it was really cool to kind of like organize these different things in different categories and then break that all aside. And then at the center of it was just the pure joy of doing it. And that's like, that is the, the mindset is just the pure joy of going climbing. So Hell yeah, dude, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. But, but it's, it's funny, like, it's funny for me to talk about that because like, that was the level of like, I was that desperate. <laughs> I needed to see like a, like a shrink to like help me see that. But it was interesting. Just, you know, I've gone through this process a lot through my life, but I hadn't analyzed it in that same way. And it was, it was interesting because she didn't know anything about climbing, but she helped me get to the root of what, you know, creates success in those circumstances. Yeah. And that was very, very helpful. And, and just like reaffirming, like La Dura Dura, for example, there was a lot of different things going on there, you know, with, with trying to read with Adam, you know, the, the symbolic importance of that interaction, you know, whatever, the passing of the torch, whatever you want to call it. But for me, well, I wasn't sure how I would feel about climbing the route once it was sent. Like once I was, yeah, no longer the best, would I still want to go climbing? And for me, it was a very cool experience in the sense of Adam did the route and I found that I still wanted to do the route just as much. Before that, I wasn't sure like what, are, what were all the reasons, but why do I want to do this route? Like what is the, what are the, what is the meaning for me personally? And was a very cool kind of personal confirmation of, you know, climbing for the, the right reasons, I would say, you know, just for the joy, the personal, the personal journey that, you know, the, just the, you know, pushing yourself. And so sometimes it's hard to see clearly, you know, when there's so much, you know, so many different layers attached to these experiences, you know, because they, they do become important elements of our, you know, you know, who we are and we want to, you know, they reflect on us as people and we want, you know, it's like our ego and blah, blah, blah. Right. And so I think it's, I don't know, it, it's, a, I think that whole process of red pointing is a very just interesting, like case study into just like the human psyche in that way, because it really pushes you in a lot of ways that just going climbing or even going on siding or something, it doesn't. Right. But I think that's also why, you know, because it's so intense, that's why that I don't do it all the time. Right. It's not fun in the sense, like the normal sense of, of the term, right? And so I think it's it's important to have those experiences from time to time. And it's I don't think it's enough to just know that you could do something. It's sometimes you have to go out and actually, you know, go through that process to actually do it. Yeah, man. Well, first of all, as somebody who's in their mid forties, I'm particularly inspired and hyped by Sleeping Lion and and the you know the recent send there you do in your hardest route in your forties. But you bring up Dura Dura, and so I I, I want to check in on th this notion, as you said, kind of like there's a, a bit of maybe a passing of the the baton to the next generation. You spent some time with Adam. I'm curious, what have you learned from from climbing with Adam, who of course has gotten the closest to you know pushing the grade into that next stratosphere? I mean, I think from what I've seen in Adam, I mean, he is just very ambitious, you know? I mean, he, I met him when he was 14 years old and I mean, he basically was, that, that's what he set out to do was to become the best climber in the world. You know, he, he's been very methodical in that. And so I think, yeah, I mean, his and my approach is very, very different in that way. I mean, obviously his skill and his, his background, the amount of climbing that he's done from such a, a young age is, I think there's probably very few people that have climbed as much as he's climbed. And so he has a incredible just wealth of like climbing knowledge of just like his movement and his, you know, his body and 
I think it's incredible watching him on Saidi in particular. But I think ultimately it's like whether it's Adam, whether it's me, whether it's, you know, any of the, the top level athletes out there, I think the probably one of the main different differentiators from like the rest of the pack is just how hard we try. I think, you know, people, there's a certain like ability to try like, you know, a, a, another notch higher than most people. And I think that's what it comes down to. It's just, just another level of, of effort and you have to want it a lot. Can something like that be learned, do you think, or, or practiced or trained? I, I, I feel that myself when I, I want to try hard, but sometimes I'll just, you know, the little nagging thing will come in and just be like, ah, I'll just lower off and, and we'll try again later and, and this kind of thing. But I, I agree with that sentiment that you just raised there. I think yourself and, and Adam, Jonathan Segrist comes to mind and, you know, others that are, to, yeah. to your point, at the tip of the spear, there seems to be an extra reserve of try hard that, that isn't common. And what do you attribute that to? And, and is it something that can be fostered, do you think? I'm not sure if it can be fostered or not. I think, you know, for all of, you know, all of those names that you just mentioned, it's like climbing is our, is our life. It's our, it's our path. It's like how we realize ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think bringing it back to like climbing is being a very personal experience. And in the end, there's always going to be someone better. <laughs> there's always going to be someone not as good, right? And like, you know, one of the interesting things, so for me, going back to climbing in Mallorca, it's just the most untainted climbing experience that I can relate to where not even, there's no reference points. There's no grades anywhere. There's not even any bolts to follow. But if you wipe all that stuff away and just focus on having a good sensation in your body, and that's one of the things that I... I focus on quite a bit. It's just, you know, what it feels like in your body to feel when you feel really good climbing, you know, your body's in tune, you, your brain sends a signal to your fingers and they respond just how you planned for them to, to, to act. Right. And, and, and so we know we each have our own version of that, of like, what does a good sensation in climbing feel like? But I think that is a better barometer for, climbing performance, at least on a, on a personal level, or focusing on how we feel while we're climbing. And that's, that's an interesting exercise, I think, in general, is just forget about any of the grades and just like focus on that climbing sensation. Like, how do I feel in my body when I'm moving on the rock? Yeah, and you, you bring up deep water soloing for that, maybe that, the purest part of that experience. But uh, I think a lot of people listening probably haven't or maybe don't have access to deep water soloing, as rad as it looks. <laughs> I definitely want to do it. But have you ever experienced that same sensation uh, just on uh, more accessible rocks, boulders, or or routes that were maybe closer to home? You know, some of my best climbs, you know, back in the day when I was 17 in Santa Cruz and I was recovering from a knee injury, I I would ride my bike, up, you know, six miles up the coast, this little trophy beach bouldering spot that was just a, a bouldering wall with tons of like nice slopey holds on it. And I made all these eliminate boulder problems. And I, I think I climbed there once like 47 days in a row. And it just very cool. Just like in my own complete bubble of just climbing, just with me, myself in the rock and just explore it, just personal exploration there. And then it was very interesting because I, after that I went out and then I ended up going to like a competition and I just, you know, was on a, on another level, right? So it's interesting, you know, we, we want, we like as, as humans to have these, like these markers, you know, whether it's a grade or whether it's, you know, you know, competition or, or whatever, but it's really interesting to go in, just immerse ourselves in our own personal experience of like, of what climbing feels like to, to ourselves. And then I think it can be a pretty interesting thing that to come out, like you might come out and be like, I actually, I suck. Or you might be like, actually, I'm climbing better than I've ever climbed before. And, but when you, when you, it's almost like a sensory deprivation take. You, you don't know where you stand. You don't know what anything's graded. But then I think surprisingly, if you focus only on having good climbing sensation, like usually you'll end up in a better place. You'll be like, oh, I'm climbing better than I've you know, ever climbed. That notion there, do you think that would be a key to finding lasting happiness in climbing? Like, 
I mean, you're still, obviously, you just climbed the hardest grade you've ever climbed. Um, you've got a lot of years left of pushing the limits of the sport. But at some point in time, we cross our peak and we start to um, not be able to climb as hard as we had uh, when we were in our younger years. I talked with Peter Croft a lot about this, in fact. And so what you just mentioned there, just the pureness of moving over rock and maybe not even knowing what the grade is, is that maybe what may be a key for all of us to make sure we're still finding fulfillment in the sport when we're not pushing the limits uh, grade-wise as, as hard as we had? I mean, obviously, it will be interesting to see what my relationship with climbing is like because climbing is so much about progression, right? But my idea is that I think if you focus on sensation, it's it's a relation, it's an experience between your body and the rocks. And I think you can still have that, you know, whatever level you're at, you can still find that good sensation climbing. And I think that's like, that's, that's probably more important, honestly, than actually climbing at your harvest. If you're climbing your heart, you know, at this high level and not in tune with your body, then maybe that's not that cool anyways. Right. I think, uh, you know, when I think, uh, so I think, I think that's the way is just for me, just keep going deep water soloing in Mallorca climbing on nice, juggy holds and just keep cruising. You know, I think it is, it is cool though, from time to time to test yourself. You know, for me, one of the things that, you know, I, I climbed biography, whatever, 2001, whenever that was the hardest route in the world at the time, you know, and, and I think in a lot of ways, I felt like I'd done it, you know, there was, you know, was ready to move on, but you know, then I went, I did Espontas. That was a very important route for me. But then there was the point where I was like, huh, curious to see where I'm at, you know, back, going back on a rope, go back into the, the world of performance rock climbing and see how equate now, you know, because I, I essentially had been for three or four years, hadn't climbed almost any routes and was just deep water soloing. And so it was very interesting for me to go back. I, I went to see Rana for the first time and climbed the Rambla just after that. And it was, you know, just... I think Espontas was a good example of, uh, for me of climbing just in my bubble, you know, being inspired by a, a, a certain route, but no equation really of what the grade would be. And then it's interesting to take that sensation and apply that to established rock climb like La Rambla. I think we need that sort of validation as well, you know, to know that we're, it's not just completely abstract. You know, I think that's why. I mean, what I've done over the years, basically my routine, it's like I climb fall, winter, spring, I climb here in Catalonia, and then summertime I go to Mallorca and I climb deep water solo. I, I really love that balance because just having the you know more structured, more you know typical climbing style and then just having the pure abstract, just like blank canvas, just pure, pure movement. And I think it's important to have both of those things. Well, yeah, and, and doing it all now with a lot more on your plate too, right? Uh, what was um, biography, 2001, you said? So that's 20, more than 20 years ago now. Uh, life has changed a lot for you with the businesses and, of course, especially with the family, like we talked about when we first connected here. Uh, and so uh, it's almost like that much more impressive, I feel like, to be able to continue to push your limits when not only your body's older, but you've got a ton more on your plate. You know, looking back before I was had a family, comparing that to, to now, it's funny because I'm like, man, all you have to do is like, I had like endless amounts of free time. All I had to do was go rock climbing. Like, of course, you're going to end up climbing some hard routes, you know? It's almost like I look at, back at that, I'm like, where, where was, where's the challenge in that, you know? And I think, you know, one of the really interesting things, and not to take any credit away from anybody, I just say that like what I've learned in, in rock climbing and apply that onto like a bigger canvas is to climb, to be able to climb 515 in life, you know, like to be able to, I think that's the really interesting challenge to be able to just climb 515. Like you don't have anything else going on. Like it's not that hard, but to be able to have a family, have, have these different obligations different things going on and then also climb like that's really i think really interesting and i think and that's that's really what inspires me when i see people out there being able to kind of like 
do multiple things at a high level. It's really incredible that they've been able to transfer some of those those skills, you know? Yeah, well, I appreciate that as uh, somebody who's got a couple jobs and a podcast and some kids and, you know, it, it definitely forces a high level of focus to be able to train and find the time to climb and push the limits higher and higher. Um, I'm, I'm not sure 515 is <laughs> easy, but I guess it's all relative, right? Uh, it's for me, as I'm trying to push into the high 12s or low 13s here, that's the hardest I've ever climbed and I've got a ton on my plate and um, there is a, a, a certain level of satisfaction to that. Of course, I wish I had started climbing when I was in my teens or my early 20s when I had a heck of a lot less on my plate. But it's nice of you to recognize that for all of us weekend warriors or weekday warriors for that matter. And, you know, kind of along that theme, a lot of us do um, a bulk of our climbing at a gym. And and this is a world that you're kind of of the generation, the first generation of gym climbers, but also now you're a gym owner and designer. And are you still able to tap into that creativity and that flow, that pureness that you're talking about when when you go to the gym? Or is it purely a training tool for you? I'd love to understand how you work the gym into your climbing routine and training and fun and also what you see in the generations now of climbers coming up through what are far more impressive gyms of course than when you were a kid well i, I would say like one of the things that i've experienced since i've kind of like reconnected with indoor climbing you know i started climbing at pacific edge climbing gym in santa cruz in 1993, so it was one of the first gyms in the in the country. But then I, you know, especially since I became, a, you know, since we opened our gym here in Barcelona, and that you know was locked in with with a little baby at the time. One of the things that I discovered was when I go rock climbing in a gym, it's very playful, it's very fun, it's about the movement. And if I compare those two experiences, there's honestly like. Oftentimes, my experience climbing in a gym is is purer than going rock climbing. There's a lot more ego oftentimes when I go rock climbing because I'm thinking about these specific achievements or goals or accomplishments, whereas going gym climbing, I'm just climbing because it feels good. And it's like, you know, it fills me with joy. And so that's really interesting thing because I think I was a little bit, a little bit critical towards just gym climbing, like, you know, for me, it was very much like, like rock climbing. That's my thing. And then it was interesting to discover just how, how pure gym climbing can be because there's a lot less ego in it. I like that. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting to see like the, the state of, of gym climbing, I think with the, the route setting that these days, just how, how beautiful the, the routes have become, you know, it's about creating these lines more than just a, a bunch of holds all over the wall. It's about, you know, creating a, a beautiful line. I mean, I think in the end, it's it's really cool to see how climbing has, so many more people have been able to connect with climbing through gym climbing. And obviously it's grown into its own, its own, you know, branch of climbing in and of itself. There's There are a lot of people that are not even going to ever become rock climbers. And that's okay, honestly, I think. In the past, I might not have thought that that was okay, but I think, I think it's neat to see how climbing has infiltrated like the urban world, and it's it's become this you know way of life for all of these urban people that probably will never become outdoors people. And I think, obviously, for me, I really emphasize this part of being out in nature, but that's not for everybody. And there's still so much to get out of climbing just even at a climbing gym. And so it's neat. And so I, I think I've, I've learned a lot for sure over the years about that. And it's been, it's been cool to kind of rediscover that and, and see people on a regular basis, you know, discover climbing for the first time. And it like, they become hooked and, you know, it's, I've been climbing for quite a long time now. So it's really neat to see people when they're in that like initial stage of just like falling in love with it and they're discovering it. So I think, uh, yeah, whether or not these people become rock climbers or not, it's not that important. Hell yeah. Great perspective and a nice full circle for, for you, um, as you just shared, going from kind of being the purest, a uh, rock climbing purist, but now recognizing that that joy and that purity can come from all forms of, of moving over rock or plastic. And are there any other just last words that you'd like to share before you shove off to Mallorca? Yeah, I think uh, I would just want to just let 
all of your viewers, remind them that as easy as it is to get caught up in what other people are doing, where we stand or whatever, every person is their own universe. And I think, you know, one of the things that I like to think about is like to climb as best as we possibly can to, to be the best version of ourselves. I mean, climbing is a completely personal experience. And if you can be, if you can find a way to climb and, to, to, you know, realize your potential as a climber, then you are the best in the world. And that beautiful sentiment right there will wrap things up with the Zen Send Master, Chris Sharma. What did you all think of this one? Let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Chris underscore Sharma and at The Struggle Climbing Show. Now, in a second, I'm going to hit you with my takeaways as well as tease the extended interview content that's only available to patrons and subscribers. But first, to all of you, my beloved freeloaders out there, let's support the brands that are supporting the struggle. They're the ones who are making it possible for me to release nearly all of my content at zero cost. So let's give them some love. Give it up for Fizzy Vantage, the official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle. They just released two incredibly delicious new flavors of their supercharged collagen, lemon honey tea and pomegranate berry. Both of them are so good and, of course, will support your connective tissue as you train hard. Check it out, along with everything else that they make to help athletes perform at their best. In Europe, you can find it on the Epic TV and Banana Fingers online shops, and here in the U.S. at select gyms and, of course, at fizzyvantage.com. Hit that link in your show notes or use code STRUGGLE15 at checkout for 15% off. And a big shout out to Crimped, spelled C-R-I-M-P-D, which is the most advanced and motivating training app that I have ever used. It's free to download. It has programs for bouldering as well as sport climbing, and it just takes the guesswork out of how to program training. So if you are a self-coached athlete or if you've hit a plateau in your fitness or you just want to shake things up, check it out. Hit that link in your show notes or pop over to crimped.com or just search for Crimped in your app store to download it for free. Oh man, takeaway time. How the heck do I sum up takeaways on this one? I mean, first, just from like a personal perspective, chatting with Chris was as pinch myself cool as when I had Lynn Hill on the show or when I got to go climbing with Alex Honnold and Jordan Cannon. And now I'm just spraying. But hey, there's probably a lot of new listeners that are tuning in for the Sharma episode. So if you haven't checked out a bunch of episodes here of The Struggle, we got amazing climbers here sharing their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game. From Tommy Caldwell to Jonathan Segrest to Allison Vest, Lynn Hill, Peter Croft, Alex Honnold. The list goes on and on. Check them all out and subscribe if you like what I'm doing here with the podcast. And we also just launched on YouTube. So search uh, The Struggle Climbing Show or just go to youtube.com slash at The Struggle Climbing Show. And we've got some amazing videos up there that bring these interviews to life with killer footage of what these climbers are doing or talking about. Okay. Enough of that tangent. Let's talk about the takeaways here. I thought it was just really cool and refreshing to hear one of the greatest, if not the greatest rock climbers ever, to open up about his struggles. Whether it was when he was falling on the last move of Sleeping Lion for months, or when he gave up on first round, first minute, or the challenge of balancing climbing with other life obligations. It was all just really relatable stuff, I thought. I mean, I don't climb at his level. Nobody does. But... His struggles were relatable, and also he didn't have some like magic formula to handle them. He was just working through them like any of us do, and I, I really appreciated just being able to connect like emotionally and personally with such a dominant climber on that. I also really appreciated the tension that he held between finding joy in the purity of flowing over rock or plastic versus seeking the discomfort, the angst even of finding a hard project that pushes him to try harder than he has ever tried before, that he ever even felt might be possible. That try-hard is in us all, and it might just be the thing that separates the greats from the very goods, and maybe what separates us, like you and me, from ticking the project at whatever grade that we're climbing. Digging deep and finding that try-hard is something that I'm gonna try hard to do. 
Well, if you're not a patron or subscriber, that clips the anchors on this episode. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I am so damn grateful for all of y'all's support as I work my harness off over here in the podcast slash utility closet. Now, if you are a patron or Apple subscriber, I got a bit more of this chat with Chris to share with you where he opens up on deep water soloing tips, what his biggest weakness is as a climber, and what his feeling is on revisiting old routes, like when he went back to Waco uh, just recently after 15 years. It's some fun stuff. And if you'd like to hear that and gain exclusive access to other perks such as pro clinics from the likes of Drew Mack, Ravioli Biceps, Alex Johnson, and many more, along with extended and ad-free episodes, plus, of course, that warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that you're supporting me, pop on over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show or simply subscribe through Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen. And if you think it sucks, then just cancel at any time. No worries. Hey, did you know that The Struggle is carbon neutral in partnership with the Honnold Foundation? They are doing amazing work, you guys, to bring clean energy to communities around the world. Check out their latest impact report, which is so inspiring. You can find it at honnoldfoundation.org. That's also where you can get involved, learn about the other projects they're supporting, and make a monthly donation if you'd like, like I do. They're really doing it right, so toss them some love if you can. And lastly, The Struggle is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective, a diverse group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. This show was produced and hosted by me, Brian Devlin. The Struggle makes us stronger. See you next week.